We're dealing with something that's unknown, it's unseen. We don't even know how deadly this is, how it's being spread. You know, we've never dealt with anything on this scale right now. I feel like we're on a plane flying in a fog with no instruments. Los Angeles, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. I'm back. Thank you for being with me here on Code 3. You are once again listening to the show for and about firefighters. You can stick around till the end if you want to know where I've been. Now let's get started. By now, as I record this show on April 6, 2020, most of this nation's fire departments are already dealing with the devastating effects of COVID-19 to one degree or another. But if you think your department's been hit hard, be glad you're not in New York City. Just as it was on September 11, 2001, ground zero for COVID-19 is New York. The FDNY is dealing with an enormous number of deaths among the public. So many runs that they no longer transport patients in cardiac arrest unless they can get a pulse while they're in the field. The radio calls for 1037s, which can mean a dead body, are frequent, constant, 12 an hour by some accounts. Amid all this, nearly 2,000 FDNY personnel are suspected to be infected. About 400 are confirmed, and that number is growing daily. Joining me to give us some perspective is FDNY Battalion Chief Danny Sheridan. He is a 34-year veteran of the department and a member of the FDNY IMT as well. He's also a well-known instructor nationally. He's a lead instructor with Mutual Aid Training Group, which works to train firefighters in Latin America. Danny, thanks for joining me again on Code 3 today. You're welcome, Scott. My pleasure to be here. Let's start with the big picture. How has life changed for you these days? How has life changed? Well, um, quite honestly, it was very subtle, you know, at first you know, it was in another place, right? I had been, been doing a lot of traveling. I was actually down in Chile doing uh, some training down in Chile. And then I had some consulting work in Australia. And it was starting to hit over in China, I guess. And it was like, you know how it is when you see something on the news, it's always somewhere else. You know, it's it's not in my backyard, right? So uh, Yeah, and so you say, well, that's too bad for them, but they'll get through it. Yeah, they'll get through it. And you know, like everything else, it'll it'll hit its peak and fizzle out like everything else. You know, I have to be honest, it was just very subtle. You know, then we started seeing it happening in Italy and then it went to Spain and then it went to the UK. And, you know, even here in New York City, you know, it was such a cosmopolitan city where, you know, we're like the center of the universe sometimes. You know, we have every... <laughs> Every nationality, it's like the hub of the world, you know, people from all over. I mean, I I couldn't even imagine how many languages are spoken in New York, you know. I think it's like everything, you know, we we always assume that things will just come and go and, you know, kind of fizzle out, right? Quite the opposite. I mean, it just very, very subtly just started creeping up 
to the point where like all of a sudden we were like in the midst of it. And I can remember the date. I think it was March 19th. Well, that's when we kicked off our new work schedule, March 19th. Maybe a week before that, you know, I'm on the, the IMT for the FDNY. I'm in the operations section. They called us in and we were going to set up these testing sites in every borough. And then all of a sudden it came and went and we decided not to do the testing sites. But at the same time, the hospitals just started getting overwhelmed. And, you know, in 1995, we started doing EMS, right? We were, you know, my first 10 years on the job, we didn't even touch a patient, you know. I used to kind of joke around and say, you know, if someone had a heart attack and, and they fell in front of the firehouse, they'd be better off if they fell, you know, across the street in front of the bodega. <laughs> you know, it just, you, you know, you're just busy with fire. You know, we never really, it wasn't an arrogance. It was just, it wasn't, it didn't exist, you know. Health and Hospital Corporation did EMS and FDNY, we did fires and we had enough fires to, you know, to keep us busy, right? But anyway, fast forward 20 years and now our engine companies are CFRD, Certified First Responders, and they we were just getting bombarded and we couldn't even handle the workload anymore. It's now it's nonstop. I mean, I come to work and, you know, I mean, that's, that's all you hear on the radio. It, it seems to be anytime I put the radio on, it's nonstop. You know, we have a code, right? It's a, a 1037, code two, which means that they're doing CPR. And if they give a 1099, that means that they're going to be out of service for at least a half hour. And that is constant. It's like just nonstop uh, around the clock now. That's what's happened. Now, I understand that there's been at least an informal policy change that you guys no longer transport cardiac cases if they're not viable. Correct. That's correct. Yeah, I think the, the engine companies and the EMTs, and they're the ones that are on the front lines, and they're the ones that are getting shellacked, you know, and it's really my job as a battalion chief to you know, to keep them safe the best I can and to manage everything else, right? That's the job of an incident commander. I'm concerning myself now with, um, you know, keeping the firehouses clean, disinfected, safe, you know, trying to minimize the exposures. Yeah, just when we got good at cleaning up after ourselves to prevent carcinogens, this happened. Exactly. That's a great point. Yeah. And this takes it to a whole new level. So, I have conferences with my captains. I have six captains in my battalion. And we, we have a conference called pretty much like every other night. And, you know, we talk about, you know, what's what's happening on in the field and on the front lines. And What are they telling you? That, that they're getting clobbered now. You know, I have uh, three of my engines are very busy, especially one of them in Soundview, 96 engine. And actually 64 engine, too. They both have very large response areas. And they have a they have an elderly population. They have some nursing homes. You know, we, we're really trying to stay on top of like the having enough PPE. It sounds like it's trivial, but you know, one of my biggest jobs, like every day, is is just making sure they have enough N95s. I have to keep track of of every run that they go on and make sure that you know that they don't get caught short because if they do, I can't expose these guys to the coronavirus. So how are your PPE supplies holding out? Yeah, for now, knock on wood, um, we've been able to keep up with the uh, demand. Every time they they do a CPR run, they were losing three or four N95s. So I have to constantly make sure that they have an adequate supply on the uh, apparatus. 
I, we did come up with a plan B, which I don't think we've instituted yet, but you know, we, we, we figured if it really hits the fan and they absolutely have no N95s, it's, you know, there's, it's not acceptable to use whatever, whatever other masks are out there. So what I did was I have a, in my battalion, I have a depot of about 12 spare SCBAs. So I gave each of the engine companies two SCBAs. So that gives them two there. And then they have one probably has a chauffeur and they have a, an extra one on the rig. So it's a total of four. And, you know, if they actually had a necessity, if they have no N95s, then I told them to, to wear the SCBAs. You know, I mean, that's, that's actually plan B right now, you know. Don't you have to decontaminate those between every run? Yes. Yeah, so that that's going to be an extra step. Yep, but that's fine. I'd rather that than expose these guys. But in essence, they're going to have SCBAs for firefighting, and then these SCBAs will ded- be dedicated solely for uh, CPR runs. So how is staffing? I hear you guys are having trouble with that. Yeah, my battalion right now, we're holding our own. It's averaging about six, four to six firefighters in each company are out with symptoms. I think only right now in my battalion, I believe only two or three have tested positive for the virus. And I think two of my, one officer and one firefighter's wives tested positive. So, you know, we're we're erring on the side of caution if we're telling guys if the they're symptomatic if they're coughing or if they're feverish or chills or whatever, just to stay home. We're not we're not bringing them into the station. Which is, of course, the safe way to do it. So are these guys worried? Are they concerned about having to go out on these runs? That's a good question. I Yeah, I, I would say that they're concerned. You know, they're not thrilled about it, but, you know, being who they are, they... they always step up. You know, I told them, you know, we, we got through 9-11. This is, you know, in a sense, I think of 9-11 because in, in a sense, it's a disaster or whatever you want to call it, a crisis or extraordinary times. And we got through 9-11, but 9-11, you know, it was kind of a finite event. I mean, it happened. Oh, the buildings fell. You know, we had to go down to the pile and recover our our brothers and but then it was over Then it was over and you know you know there was contaminants but i don't think we were as aware or cognizant of back then of the dangers that were, were going to come so you know it was kind of contained though like you know you go down and work on the pile you go back to the firehouse and you take a shower you clean up you leave your clothes at the firehouse and and that's it but now we're dealing with something that's unknown. It's unseen. We don't even know how deadly this is, how it's being spread. You know, my daughter's a, she works in the medical field. She's a PA and she's home with us now. And she's like the other extreme. She's hypervigilant because I think, you know, when you, when you, when you know too much, <laughs> I guess sometimes ignorance is bliss, but she's, she's very dialed in on, on what's happening, you know? And, um, She's very concerned, and she says it's extremely contagious. So, you know, this is new territory for us. I mean, we, you know, we've never dealt with anything on this scale. I mean, there's nowhere that's safe. Like, you can't even say, well, you know, we'll 
take a trip somewhere and maybe until this blows over, it's like it's it's the whole world. <laughs> How has this situation with COVID-19 changed morale, if it has at all? No, I, I don't think morale is down. I, I think maybe the opposite. I think guys, they're the, they're the best, you know, I mean, the, the FDNY, I mean, they always they always come up to the challenge. You know, they're, they're really conscientious guys. I mean, I have some great captains in my battalion. And they're not going to make excuses and they're going to do what they can to, to, you know, to make the lives of the citizens in New York better. That's that's what they they signed up for. And they actually they adhere to it. I'm not surprised. I mean, I I really don't expect anything less from my uh, from my guys, you know. This is not the same thing as a structure fire, though. I mean, there you arrive, you have the red stuff, you put the white stuff on, you overhaul, you go home. This is invisible, and, and it's, it's got to be scary to even veterans who know what they're doing that something could kill them that they can't even see. Right. Yeah, we're, we're like in uncharted waters here. I mean, it's just, uh, God, I, I don't know. I, this is something that uh, I never could even foresee. Even though, you know, we've, we've seen news reports over the years that there's going to be this pandemic, you know, and I don't know. I mean, it, it, I guess the reality is different than... You know, when you actually, you see these these prophecies or whatever you want to call them about these pandemics, but when it's really happening, it, it's just very difficult to to describe because what, what's for me is, is scary in a way is that I, um, I can't see the end of this. I, I don't know where it is. Like right now, I feel like we're on a plane flying in a fog with no instruments. Like we just don't know where the, where it's going to peak and where it's going to level off and where it's going to be the downturn. It seems to me that it just keeps going. Like with 9-11, with the Trade Center, we knew as, you know, every time we went down to the pile, you know, we 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 made progress. You know, we, we dug up another 10 feet or whatever it was, you know, and we knew we were getting towards the bottom. This, this is the unknown. I mean, it's just, uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's something that I've never dealt with, never even thought of dealing with, you know. So when you wake up and go to work, what are you thinking? Well, what am I thinking? Right. What's going to happen today? You know, it seems to change. You know, every day it seems to be changing. It goes from day to day. You, 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 keep, you keep thinking to yourself, like, today's a day where it's going to be less cases and there's not going to be that many, you know, they're going to say that we're on the downturn and it's easing up and it, it doesn't seem to be happening. It just seems to be like, okay, it's actually getting busier. What's the breaking point for us? You know, when's going to be the point where, um, you know, where we, we just can't handle the volume anymore and the, the volume of people and what do we do with them, you know? Do you feel like any of your people are going to suffer from problems like PTSD related to this down the road? And what can we do about that now to help mitigate it? Hmm, yeah, good question. I would I would imagine, you know, that that's going to happen because... You know, personally speaking, I remember on 9-11, you know, I did things and I saw things that I didn't think that I would ever see. And uh, you just do them and you do it without thinking. And then you think about it much later on. Like I uh, I can remember when I was a probie and I, I couldn't have had no more than maybe two months in the firehouse. And we had a we had a call for an explosion in a power plant. We were second due truck and I had the can as usual. and you know, I was the Johnny and I worked with this, the one guy had the irons. He was a, a Vietnam vet, you know, and my captain, he was like his, you know, he had 
he was the most saltiest guy, man. He was like um, been through the war years, and you know, I remember going in, and uh, we got to the landing on the second floor, and there was a guy that was in really bad shape, you know, and uh, I kind of stepped over him, like uh, you know, because we still had to get to the fire, and I stepped over him like I've been doing it my whole life, and then um, you know, when we got to the fire. The captain told me, you know, he says, okay, kid, get the can and then, uh, you know, put the fire out. And I started putting the fire out and uh, he said, you know, you, you know, this is a person. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I acted like it was no big deal. Like, yeah, okay. You know, you know, I got back to the firehouse in the, in the Vietnam vet Frankie. He's like, look at me, he goes, you know, Sheridan, man, you're okay, man. You did okay there, you know? And uh, he didn't realize that when I got home, that night or the next night or whatever it was, I was ready to jump out the window, man. I was jumping out of my skin. So guys, if it's anything like myself, we'll, we'll put up some bravado. And, um, but I, I'm, you know, I did, I did talk to one of my aides. He's an EMT and he worked on one of the, one of the, we call them the RRVs. And, uh, I was thinking about actually having someone I know, maybe volunteer. And he says, you don't want to do this duty. It, it's, it's depressing. It's, uh, it's just one dead body after another. I don't know. I think, uh, you know, firefighters are tough, man. They, you know, they, and the EMTs are tough. They'll, you know, they'll put up the, the brave front, but I, I, I don't know what happens. You're right. When, uh, when it all settles, what's going to, what's going to happen. You guys at FDNY have a great reputation for being able to stand up to a challenge. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I have no doubts. You know, we, we, like you said, we, we always seem to rise to the occasion. We'll, we'll get through it. I just, I just don't know when the end is. That's all. All right, Danny Sheridan, thanks for talking with me on Code 3. Good luck in the coming days. Thank you. Take care now. Danny is justifiably concerned. The risk is real, and frankly, it's scary. I'd like to have your comments on what you're seeing. Call my voicemail line at 562-337-9902, and I'll use your comments in a future show. That's 562-337-9902. Or you can leave your comments on our website at co3podcast.com slash COVID. There's links to more resources there as well. So, where have I been? I appreciate the messages of concern I've received. Parkinson's is a tough disease, and as a neurologist once told me, it won't kill you, but it'll make your life hell. That's turning out to be true. But I love doing this show for you, so I'm back and I'll continue to produce it. But I am cutting back to one episode a week. I'll publish it on Thursdays. Same content, just a little less of it. That should make it possible for me to keep going well into the future. If you like what you hear, please go tell someone. And thank you for being a fan. Alright, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me then. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.